in Numbers chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 just to kind of intro us into this section. And then we'll pray and ask God to just bless our time and prepare us for what He has for us. Numbers chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. In the tent of meeting, on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male, head by head, from 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them company by company. And there shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of his fathers. Church, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the truths of your word. Father, I pray as we get into this this morning that you would just lead, guide, and direct us in all things. Let it be your truths, not mine. Lord, let it be your glory and not ours. Lord, let each and every one of us be challenged. Let us be persuaded by your truths and adhere to your word. Father, we just ask your blessing over all that we do and it be all for your glory and honor. We love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So, like we started talking about last week, the book of Numbers tells the story, kind of bridges the gap of the 38 years after the children of Israel were exodus, the exodus out of Egypt and you know the end of exodus and Leviticus cover about a year and a half or so and then where we pick up in the book of Numbers we're kind of into that third year, the end of that second year, into the third year uh, of their kind of navigating through the wilderness. You know, we, we learned that, you know, in the book of Exodus, whenever the children of Israel sinned at the foot of Mount Sinai, when they built the, uh, built the, the golden image that they worshipped, made out of the things that they saw was valuable, they melted them down, made this image. While Moses was on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, they began worshipping. And because of this, God said a whole generation of people would not see the promised land. And, uh, and so what we see here, what we began talking about last week is kind of that foundational spot of like building up. We're talking about building up a group of people towards the promises of God. The first thing that we talked about is how we rectify or how we navigate under the shadow, because remember they're at the foot of Sinai where, where, where they're kind of stationed at right now, under the shadow of the reminder of their failure. How do they move from there? And that was kind of where we started last week. And so this morning we continue to see God building up this group of people, preparing them for His promises. And I believe what we see is we see a really interesting kind of uh, application for us. We see something very applicable for us and like we talked about last week in a lot of ways this is the point at which in our Bible reading plans where we start to check out. Uh, because we start to see a lot of numbers, we start to see a lot of names and we start to think to ourselves how is this relevant, how does this apply, what is the point and in a lot of ways I'm right there with you but as we get into this I believe we'll see the importance of these moments. Like, why did God insist for them to do this? Why did God give them a command? Like we read in our opening passages, that God gave a command to take a census. And so, you know, what we have to understand, and, and I think even for us, I think back to the early stages of my Christian life, and I believe God was doing these exact same things with me. You know, remember, the people of Israel... They had been slaves for hundreds of years. 
They had been slaves for hundreds of years. They knew nothing but captivity. They knew nothing but oppression. They knew nothing but slavery. They knew nothing but who they were in that. And so what God is doing in this time is God is preparing them for His promises. But what did we read in those first few passages? We read that He's preparing them for something. And not just for the promises that He has for Him, but He's preparing them for the process. And I think what, for us and what God's doing for them, is that God has to teach us what the process looks like and prepare us with the strength we need to navigate the process. Because remember, these people had known nothing but slavery. And the only battles that they had had up to this moment, and we kind of sang about it a little bit this morning, but the only battles that they had lived out or fought this morning were not battles that they had fought, but God, right? What did God do? God brought the plagues. God uh, parted the seas. God did all these things up to this point. So they had never known what it meant to navigate this process truly in the guidance that God had given them. God had pretty much opened the doors wide open for them to go. But what God begins to do and what we begin to read here this morning under the shadow of Sinai is that God begins to prepare them. God's going to teach them and equip them and empower them for the battles that are ahead of them. They had not known what it meant to fight up to this point, but now God is teaching them how to fight. And I believe that's what God does with us in the early stages of our Christian walk is God is prepared. God knows that we have lived in slavery our entire lives. That we have not known what it's meant to stand up to the enemy. And what God begins to do with these people and what God is doing with us in phases of our Christian life is He's preparing us for battle. He's preparing us to face the enemy. And there's some, some things that we have to consider, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What things do we need to consider as we prepare for the process to get to the promises of God and fight the battles that inevitably will be before us? As a people, individuals, as a church, as a whole, that there is a process that brings opponents to the promises of God. And that's what God is doing with the people in the book of Numbers. And that's what God intends to do with each and every one of us in the process of our Christian life. And so the first thing that I need us to consider is this. And where we begin to see the, uh, God instruct the people of God here in the book of Numbers is that we need to consider the preparation. We need to consider the preparation when it comes to moving through this process of our Christian life and facing the battles that are ahead of us. And he says this, he tells them, he says, to take a census, when he's instructing them in verse 2, to take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel. And so like I said, that seems like a very medial task. It seems like, you know, a, a very uh, detailed very um, organized, a very uh, intentional task. In a lot of ways it is. You know, we'll, we'll kind of learn as we move on how many people this actually includes, but this is a task that requires a lot of diligence. And it's not going to be a quick task. And so for us in our Christian life, when God is telling them, He's telling them, like, this is the first thing you do. We're preparing. What are we doing? We're taking a census. We're, we're collecting ourselves. We're, we're considering what it is that we have for the organization, for the training that would eventually lead us to effective movements in battle. And God is being very clear with Moses what the intentions are. In verse 3, He says, we are taking into consideration who are able to go to war. Listen, the thing about God is that God was not passive when it came to conflict. God was empowering His people to prepare for the conflict that was inevitably ahead of them. And for us in our Christian lives, the same rules apply. The conflict is inevitable. 
The conflicts are inevitable. And so he's beginning to empower and instruct them on what it means. But he tells them, first and foremost, we have to consider the preparation. We have to gather our resources. We have to know, do an inventory of what we have to prepare to adequately move forward. And this was a, a forward look towards what God was doing. So before we can ever get to where we got to go, we got to consider what we have to get there. And so that's what God is doing with his people. He's making them consider this preparation, calling them to this focus of knowing what they have to begin to invade the promised land, to be in the place where they intend to be, where God wants them to be. But not only that, not only for the invasion, for the promises, but also to defend in the midst of the process. Because that's where we spend most of our lives as Christians is in the process. And so what God is empowering them to do is be on this sense of defense. Know who you have to go to battle. Know what resources you have. And let's be prepared to face the enemy and the conflict as it comes. Listen, because I, I love this about how God is doing this. He says, listen, I've got you to this point by sh the sheer power of who I am. But there comes a time... In every single Christian's life where God says, listen, it's time for boots on the ground. I've given you what you need. Now start taking steps. Start fighting the battles alongside me. Listen, God guarantees victory. The end of the story is victory. Signed, sealed, and delivered. It's victory. But just like we know about the children of God, there is a way at which we don't experience that victory now because we choose not to step into the steps that God has called us to. Listen, there's, Moses himself does not enter the promised land. But do I believe that Moses is at the, at the foot of God right now? I believe that. I believe that Moses' faith is what saved him. Even though his, he made mistakes in, in this and would not live in the promised land, physically in the promised land, living in the victory that God gave him because of his anger, because of his lack of faith in those moments. He's still eternally sealed, but he missed out on experiencing what a whole generation of people after him would get to experience. And I believe it's the same thing for us. Listen, as Christians, I believe that our faith can be sealed in salvation for eternity. But we can miss the daily moments and the victories that God wants to have us to see and experience and share with people around us if we refuse to take the steps of the soldiers, to take the steps of preparation, to take the steps of engagement that God has called us to. We as Christians are not called to live passive Christian's li Christian lives, apathetic Christian lives, disconnected from action. What does James tell us? Faith without works is what? It's, it's dead. It's not the type of faith that evangelizes. It's not the type of faith that changes lives. It's not the type of faith that lead, guides, and direct us into experiencing the victories that God has for us. That only comes through the obedience that we have with God stepping into those spaces. And so for, for what God is telling them, listen, sometimes to reach the promise and experience the promise now, we have to take steps of preparation and progress. We have to be moving in that direction. And because what preparation does is preparation gives gives us perspective on where we are, right? Preparation gives us perspective on where we are because without the preparation, then there's something that we miss in the process. Without preparation, without the consideration, what do we miss? First off, we miss where our strengths are. We miss what we have. We miss what we can do. We miss what we can contribute if we're not considering the preparation of that process. But also we miss our weaknesses. We miss to acknowledge those spaces where we're vulnerable. You know, we begin to miss those spaces at which 
the enemy could attack us. And so that's why God's calling them to this state of preparation, gathering their resources, considering what they have and who they have, in preparation for the obstacles ahead. Because listen, preparation makes us aware, gives us perspective on where we are and what we're doing. And if we have our minds fixed on the potential obstacles, we're better prepared for what's ahead. And so when we do that, we're beginning to remove barriers to God's work in our relationships with others and to our effectiveness in life to not be diminished. And listen, the reality is this process would be long and tedious. The Bible tells us that the number of people, and we actually read that at the end of, uh, at the end of chapter 1, we actually read kind of the middle end of chapter 1, we read how many people they had to census that didn't even include the entirety of the people, but just the people they censused for war was over 600,000 people. 600,000 people censused by like 10 to 12 men kind of doing this together. 600,000 people, that did not include women and children. So can you imagine the process? And listen, a lot of times we hate if the process is tedious, right? We hate the, the monotony of life. We hate the, the, the constant kind of turning of the wheel. Like a lot of people, that's, they disconnect from even the local gathering of the church because they just don't care for the monotony. I need something new. I need something interesting. I need something engaging. I need like to be entertained. And so because there's not that constant change and that constant new, which as a leader and just as a human being in general seems unbelievably exhausting to be playing that show and trying to keep that entertainment value up. God says, listen, it's in the monotony of the process. It's, listen, what did he tell the people around the, uh, in Jericho when they were uh, marching around? He said, just march and march. Do the same thing day after day after day. Listen, that is the process at which we live. Most of our Christian life is kind of this state of, of this carousel of movement. But it's all about obedience. It's all about taking those steps of preparation and consideration to step into what God has for us. And so not only is it, is it tedious, but it's necessary. You know, and I've, I've used this illustration before. I've mentioned this before, but, you know, uh, someone uh, made a comment, you know, that, that they, they, they feel like they don't get anything out of church, that they, that they, they go to sermon after sermon and... You know, maybe I'm just better off not being there because I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of it, whatever it may be. But then, you know, the, this man replied, he said, listen, he said, my wife has cooked meal after meal after meal after meal. And listen, I don't remember all the details and I don't remember if I liked it. And I don't even remember uh, uh, what it was, he said, but I know for a fact that even though I don't remember the details, even though I don't know if it, if it, if it filled me up in that moment, I know that it supplied me. It provided for me every meal. And listen, it's the same thing with our attendance to church. It's the same thing with our devotion in our private life. Listen, not everything is going to be this earth-shattering thing that just rocks our world. But the reality of it, each and every one that we experience, each and every one that we participate and partake of, it's, it's giving us nutrition. It's filling us up. It's providing for us what we need to carry on and to move. And so not only is it the tedious word, but it's also, you know, with this taking of senses on all they have, and for us, considering the preparation of our Christian life, taking steps towards how he says in verse 3, who are able to go to war, the inevitable battles ahead of us. For us, to, be, to, to daily 
you know, taking moments, you know, and even moments like this when we're worshiping God together in this space, considering moments and considering what God has given us. What has God given me? What skills has God given me? What, what material things has God given me? What time has God given me? What are the resources? What are the relationships that God has given me? What has God given me to use for the potential battle ahead? To use in the lives of the people around me? Listen, the things that we have, the resources that God has given us. You know, and I'm not just talking about like money. I'm talking about like everything that God has placed in our life. The giftings, the, the passions, whatever it might be. God has given us these things that they contribute to our battle readiness. They, and our ability to invade the spaces we are called to and defend the spaces that we need to. God has equipped us. God has given us the resources we need to stand in those spaces. And so not only do we need to consider the preparation, but the second thing is this, for each and every one of us and for these people that they had to do is to consider how they can contribute. How can I contribute? What is my goal? What is my, my place in the midst of this? Listen, God was leading them to consider the resources to know what they had and how they could use it. And it's the same thing that God calls us to. You know, they're preparing for battle. They're preparing for 38 more years of navigating this wilderness with inevitable battles, knowing that to get to the promised land God has for them, there's going to be a battle there. That there's going to have to be an invasion. There's going to have to be something that happens. And is God going to supply them and equip them and be there with them? Absolutely. But it's going to take steps of faith and courage and strength of their own to be able to step into those spaces and to do what God has called them to. And it's going to come from the resources that they have and who they are and their abilities and the things that God has equipped and, and given them. And so this census, this consideration, this inventory of their resources, not only is it looking in a sense of preparation, but it also a sense in contribution. Like, how is that going to be used? How is that going to be utilized? You know, as you go through the, the uh, ver uh, chapter one, like he's he's organizing all these groups. You know, and this is where we begin to see the 12 tribes of Israel kind of laid out. But he's organizing all these groups. He's organizing all their resources and he's preparing them. And he said, this is for battle. So there's an anticipation of contribution. There's an anticipation of participation and how they're going to apply this and move through this in their lives. And so the universal application for all mankind is from the time of creation. Each individual has been entrusted with resources and time and material wealth. God has given us abilities. God has given us talents. And so with all those things, there's this natural kind of process that has to take place where we say, now how does that contribute to the work and the battles of the day-to-day -day spiritual battles and even physical battles that the people of God will navigate? Because remember, the giftings that God has given us, the things that God has done for us, contrary to popular Christian belief nowadays where the resources I have and the giftings I have, they're for me and my spiritual growth and how I go. That's not what it's for. God, every single thing God has given us is for the greater good of the kingdom of God. Everything God has given us, whether it's our time, whether it's our money, whether it's our resources, whether it's our abilities or our talents or our passions, every single thing God has given us is for the greater good of the Christian faith because it's the more selfless we are, the less we focus on ourselves, and the more God blesses us. What does God tell us? That we pour out that what God has trusted with little that he will trust with much. And so God gives to those who give God as we pour out, God pours in for us to pour out more, not just to sit on what we've got. 
And listen, don't hear this as a money talk. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about how we actively participate. Listen, I've always been one to call people to give. If people will give their time, the money will follow. I'm not worried about the money. I'm more worried about our time. I'm more worried about our talents and pouring into what God is, can do with who we are. That, there's more value in that. There's more value in that. All the, the monetary stuff will, will happen. Listen, I, I've, I've been in churches and been around long enough to see people are quick to give money. That's easy. I mean, we say that's easy, easy for some people. But, I mean, throw money at things all day, but never one time actively step into spaces and do ministry. Actively step alongside someone and help do something. That's what the people of God need. It needs bodies. It needs people in places doing things, using what God has given us. So that's what this is about, considering the preparation and the resources and then putting those resources to contributory action. Church, we as individuals are accountable. And the New Testament speaks of this. We as individuals are accountable to our usage of the things that God has given us and how we contribute, how we participate in the kingdom of God. We are the ones accountable to God for that, each and every one of us. Colossians 4, 5. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Making what? Making the best use of the time. Making the best use you as individuals, us, me as individuals, we are responsible for the best use of our time, the best use of what we've got. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. Why? Because the days are evil. There's something going on around us. There's a reason. That's why God is preparing them. He's calling them, do a census, get ready, because God knows the days are evil. There is something ahead. There's something ahead for our kids. There's something ahead for teens. There's something ahead for young adults. There's something ahead for each and every one of us. Because what? Because the days are evil. And you know what? The days are going to be evil until the day the Lord comes back. But he tells us. They said the days are evil, so make the best use of it. Make the best use of what you have. Make the best use of your abilities. Make the best use of your contribution. Make the best use of your resources. Put it to action. And put it to work. And then the third thing is this. Not only do we consider the preparation, and not only do we consider what we can contribute, but the last thing is this, and one of the most valuable things that we have to remember, is to consider, consider your community. Consider your community. You know, because I, that's what I, I love about this section of Scripture. When you read this, you know, he speaks so much about the assembly, the whole congregation, all the people of Israel, all the children. Like there's this constant communal gathering that he's doing. But listen, we live in such a world of disconnection. We live in such a world of isolation you know, when, when things go bad, what do we want to do? We want to run away from everybody. When we're dealing with issues, when we're struggling with things, we want to isolate ourselves. And listen, I've said this for years. The enemy works in isolation and Christ works in community. And so when we're struggling, the last place we need to do is remove ourselves from the greatest resource that God has given us. And that's the community of faith. Now, listen, am I saying that we as the community of faith always make that easy? No, we don't. But I can promise you, there's no greater place for the people of God to be than involved and connected to the community of faith. Invested in what God's doing. A part of 
this diverse collection of imperfect people seeking after a perfect Savior. And so we read in verse 17. What does he say? He says, Moses and Aaron took these men who had been named. And on the first day of the second month, they assembled, in verse 18, they assembled the whole congregation together. Because that's the intention. You know, they stepped into this space as individuals. They stepped into this space as a, as a people under a large, kind of large, uh, universal name. But in this space, what he begins to do is he begins to communal, kind of create a community of people, <clears throat> kind of bring them together for this greater good to, to, to let them understand that on the macro level, kind of the universal level, yes, like we're a, a big group of people. I mean, over 600,000 people are just men between uh, 21, uh, over 21 years of age. I mean, that's, that's just the men. So can you imagine the more, the bigger group of people that are existing in this, this space? Like, yeah, like they're, they're great in numbers, but what God sees and what, why God is bringing them to kind of bring this down is He's telling them, listen, we're going to collect. We're going to gather. We're going to put this community together, this group of people that are raised under this common, uh, this common goal, this common banner to step into this space to prepare for the inevitable battles that are ahead. The greatest resource God has given us is the community that He surrounded us with, the community of faith. And the thing that we have to remember, that God brings people under this banner, that God has given us the resources we have, He's given us this community to serve Him and to support each other in and through that service. Because our contributions, church, our contributions, our time, our talents, our resources, whatever it might have, our contributions create community when we consider our place and step into it. Our contributions create community when we consider our place and step into it. Listen, there's a lot of people in our lives, they need, they need the community that we have. But the problem is, is that we lose sight on the fact that for many of us, for all of us really, we can be, we can be, and this may feel like a weird illustration, but we can be a conduit to community for other people. We can be the connection to community for other people that, listen, there's people in your life, I'll never be a connection to this community or the community of Christ for them. I will never be able to be that for them. And it shouldn't be that way. Because God has given that to you. We talk about our circle of influences all the time. God has given you a group of people around you that He is calling you to be the conduit con to community that they desperately need. And listen, that requires us to be a part of the community. That requires us to be here. That requires us to be involved. That requires things of us. But that's that whole step of considering our resources and pouring it out and being there not for my own good. Listen, we don't do this for our good per se. I mean, there is value. Like we said, there, this is for us to gather, to be filled, to be uh, instructed on God's Word, to rally around a truth. But even in that, we lean into God's Word. We gather together and worship a holy God, not just for us, but for the sake of those around us so that we can be a beacon, a light, a hope, to be a resource to a people desperately in need of a community of faith, a people of God that are preaching the gospel, the gospel of truth in a broken 
world that desperately needs something greater than the empty mess that the world throws at them for satisfaction and joy. There needs to be something deeper. The, the world is longing for something deeper. Listen, if self-help worked, if self-help help worked, there would only be one self-help book. But why does a self-help book come out every single year? Sometimes months at a time, short months at a time, and a new one will come out, and a new one will come out, and a new one will come out. Obviously, they can't figure it out because self-help doesn't work. We need something deeper. We need something greater. We need something more fulfilling and the world's desperately grasping for it. But you know what? The world around us doesn't want to accept that the most joy and satisfaction that can ever be found is in worshiping the creator of the universe. They don't want to accept that. Why? Because it requires us to die. It requires us to die to self. It requires us to give up who we are. It requires us to be identified more than what we feel or what we want. It requires us to be identified by the creator of the universe that says we are wonderfully and fearfully made, that we are intended for something greater than what this world gives us. We're intended for an eternity in heaven, and we're called to bring as many people as we can into that eternity with us. That's what he's called us to. And that's what he's given us this community to do, that we don't have to do it alone. And that's why they're, they're gathering these people together. He said, listen, you don't have to do this alone. You don't have to navigate the wilderness. Now, for the next 38 years, the fear of the enemy, the fear of provision, the fear of what's ahead. You don't have to do this alone. I've given you people to do this. That's what we are for each other. Is it perfect? No. Are they perfect? This next 38 years is full of ups and downs and failures and successes and obedience and disobedience. Listen, that is the story of my life. And that is the story of yours. And listen, that's just the reality that we live in. But it doesn't mean that we don't keep pushing towards the promises as they do. Pushing towards the promises. Pushing towards the promises. And God, God punishes them when they need to be punished. He disciplines them when they need to be disciplined. But at the end of the day, God provides for his people to continue to take steps forward and to continue to move in this community that has given them. First Peter 4.10, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied graces. When a group distinguishes into a collection of individuals, each going his or her own way, its ability to be used by God diminishes can never allow ourselves to be a group of individuals that just happen to be sharing a space. Church, when we are a group that unites and looks to God for direction and organization and its effectiveness, we will be enhanced. Like I said, we'll be that conduit to community that doesn't require skills or precision, only willingness and availability. You know, to connect people to the community of Christ, it doesn't take perfection or precision. It just takes willingness and availability. Does that mean that we shouldn't learn and grow deeper in our faith and learn more answers and know more? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. But at the base level, all it needs is willingness. Everybody, most of the people that, that began, now did it require lots of faith? Absolutely. But people that God called, these people were not the question. I mean, Moses himself, he's like, God, I, I can't speak right. Like, what? You want me to go and talk to somebody and convince them to do something when I don't even have confidence in the way that I speak to people? God said, I got that. Just be willing. Just be available. Just take those steps. Be present for the community. And then, with that community, not only leaning into that, 
But the second thing being this, in chapter 2, he tells them this. After they've all gathered, he says, The people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their fathers in their houses. And he said, They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. So what is the tent of meeting? The tent of meeting, other ways, places it's called the tabernacle or the Holy of Holies, this place at which the presence of God dwelt among the people of God. And so what was God doing? Not only do you collect the resources, not only do we create the community, but this community will be surrounding and facing the place at which we acknowledge the presence of God dwells. Because listen, not only does a community need to be unified, but we need to be unified around the truth. We need to be unified around the presence and the work of God, the power and the might and the holiness of God. Listen, that tent of meeting, it was, it was a holy place. It was a holy place that you could not go unclean, that you only certain, certain people could go with, under certain circumstances. It was very set apart. It was very isolated. It was very, but it was very present. It was very powerful. It was a reminder. It was the centrality of their community was around the presence of God. Listen, and, and as we look at that at the, the big level, as us as a church, also considering that, because remember, not only did he break them up, and we read that, not only did he break them up in tribes, but then also by their father's houses, their families. And these families would be stationed around this tent, this place that represented, that was the place at which God met with His people. This is when the, God's presence begins to move with His people in this temporary establishment that they would set up. And then He would, he would get a group of people, the priests, who would tear it down and, and, and put it, set it up when they would have to move. A very specific group of people, but what did he do for the whole community? He said, you surround it. Not only do you surround it, but you face it. So when you open your tent, when you walk out, that's what you see. This is what the whole culture was based around, was the presence of God. Our communities have to be, and when we say community, our, our macro community, the universal community of our church, but then the micro community, our families. Circling our families around the who, the, who God is, His holiness. His presence with His people. This prepares us for the battles ahead. To be reminded that God is present. But not only that God is present, but that God is holy. And He has called us to obedience. That He has called us to take steps of faith in the world that we live in. The whole community structured around this. And so, as the band comes, I want to end with this this morning. In verse 54, what does He say? Of chapter 1. He says, Thus did the people of Israel, did the people of Israel, they did according to all the Lord commanded Moses. You know, and like I said, these people, and we'll read as we get further into this, but these people were not perfect. They made a lot of mistakes. They chose a lot of bad things. But they were God's people. And in this moment, under the shadow of Sinai, like we talked about last week, a reminder of God's holiness, a reminder of God's discipline, but also a reminder of God's mercy, a reminder of God's grace. As they stand under this shadow, they begin to take steps of obedience. They begin to move in the direction, and they obeyed God even when the reasons were not apparent. 
because of this, they were prepared. They were more effective. Listen, we're not always going to understand, why do I need to lead my kids in this way? Why do I need to develop a relationship with my spouse this way? Why do I need to have conversations with people this way? Why do I need to participate in a local church? Why do I need to serve? Why do I need to do these things? Listen, a lot of times the initial reason doesn't make sense or it doesn't present itself or doesn't seem clear. steps of faith that they took to do the things God called them to do showed this, that they had confidence that God was preparing them for something. And you know what, for me personally, there have been ups and downs in my life that as I have navigated into certain spaces, I can look back and say, God, now this makes sense. And now I understand why you let me go through this because of where I am now because of the fight that I'm facing now. That if I had not experienced this, I would have not have been properly equipped to face this. God, if, if, if you wouldn't have disciplined me in this moment and helped me come out stronger on the other side, then I'd have never been able to step next to this person here and help them navigate this. God, if you'd have never let me be hurt by this person here, I'd have never been able to help someone else walk through their own hurts here. There is no moment through this process in which God is wasted, but every single step that we take in our Christian life, God uses for His glory, our good, in every single battle ahead. Listen, the reason may not make sense, and it may seem stressful, it may seem out of place, it's going to make us be pushed to the outside of culture sometimes. But God uses those moments to prepare us for the battles that we face. And that we need to remember there's something unique about what God was doing with these people. What did God do? He told him, he said, name them all. And not just name them by big groups. He says, name them by name. Name them by their father's name. Name them by who they are. Name them by what they mean to the work of God. Listen, remember, he's, he's named us. If you're a believer here this morning, you've been named in the Lamb's book of life. Because your name has been written. It has been sealed. God has named you as his, his beloved, his child. But there's a place at the table. And if we have not put our faith in Christ, if you're here today and you have not put your faith in Jesus, repenting of our sin, acknowledging we need help, God says, come. Listen, he said, there's space in this book for you to be named among the people of God, to walk in the confidence, to walk in the preparation, to walk in the contribution and to live in the community that he's called us to. And that in that, even though they couldn't see the reason, don't always see the point, but church, we can be confident in His promises. Because God is a great God. And He's intentional. And nothing's by accident. And nothing catches Him off guard. And that even though the God of the universe goes before us and wins those battles, He calls us to suit up. He calls us to contribute. He calls us to consider the resources we have to give to the people of God, the community of faith, to step into the spaces He's called us to and to fight the enemy that's ahead of us. Today you'll leave. Tomorrow you'll go out to work. And you're going to face an enemy. 
God's given you a community and he's given you resources to step into those battles with confidence. Can we walk in that confidence? Can we empower our spouses? Can we empower our kids? And can we do like the Bible calls us to and rally around the presence of God? You know the beautiful thing, and this could be a whole message in itself, but you know the beautiful thing about this tabernacle, this temporary dwelling place? Do you know what the New Testament version of that is? The New Testament tabernacle is me and you. Testament tabernacle is me and you, the presence of God dwelling among his people in the wilderness. We are that. We are those people. We are that presence. We are that provision. We are that holiness. We are that sanctified people. We are those priests that move it around. We are that now in this world, in this wilderness for the people of God and for the people around us to be a beacon. Because listen, during this wilderness journey, people would come in. During the invasion of the promised land, others would come in. Why? Because through the, the, the ark, through the tabernacle, through the holiness and the presence of God, people would say, I want to be a part of that. And so now as a people of God, we are that tabernacle and we step into those spaces and people will say, I want that. I want to know that. I want to see that. I want to be a part of that. I want to experience that. It's not perfect. It's not all put together all the time. But the God of the universe does not change. And the beautiful thing is that over 2,000 years ago, he chose broken people to do his work. And today he still chooses broken people to do his work. He just needs people to step into it, to be willing, to be confident, not in our own ability to win those battles, but through stepping in faith and confidence in what he's got for me, that God will equip us to win those battles, that God will carry us through. And that even in my failure, God will pick me up. He'll discipline me and he'll say, this is why this happened to you. This is why you experienced that. Now go and meet with somebody here that needs you, that needs you to be the tabernacle for them, the presence of God, the meeting place of God for his people. Be that. Let us be that. Using our resources, using our community. Let us be that. Church, can we stand and pray together and worship this holy God for who he is and use this as a time to react and respond to who God is and what God does in your life. Maybe you pray where you're at. Maybe you take a seat. Maybe you kneel on this hard floor. Maybe you find somebody and you pray. Maybe you ask a question, whatever it may be. Let us worship. Let us acknowledge who he is and what he's doing and what he's done in our life. And let's begin to take steps with our contributions, living in the community that he's got for us to be the tabernacle in the world that God has called us to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your glory. God, we thank you for the work that you've called us to. God, and I thank you so much that you choose to use broken people like me to do the work that only you could do. Father God, let us not walk in the confidence of who we are, but God, let us live in the confidence of what you do. God, that you are a good God, that you are a strong God, but that you are a holy God. And that God, you invite us into these spaces to walk deeper and to be tabernacle, the presence of God in the places that you've placed us. God, let us see it. Let us live it and let us be it. Lord, let us respond appropriately to who you are and what you do this morning. Father, let us worship you. We love you. In Jesus' name.